If you want to be at the tip of the spear of sports performance, the answer is simple. Simply Faster is your insider's edge to maximize results with the highest quality premier sports equipment in the business. Visit Simply Faster and level up. What's up, everybody? This is Ryan Banta live. And with this, one of the things that uh, I figured I would do today is, you know, you kind of talk about, it's about relationships. I mean, one of the things I think is really important for all of us to know is that relationships are more important than probably anything else about coaching. That goes with relationships with your colleagues, relationships with your administrators, relationships with your athletes, and relationships with their parents or whoever's having a relationship with them in any shape, size, or color. And when we look at these relationships and we put these things into case studies, relationships are built about trust, right? So trust drives the bus of loyalty. So if you want somebody to be loyal to you, you got to have an engine filled with trust so that that bus can run and everybody can be on board and everybody can do the things that need to be done. If you don't have trust, you don't have loyalty and you don't have the things that are needed. But that trust is developed with a two-way, at least a two-way relationship where both the coach and the athlete trust each other in this process, in this pursuit. Now, in order to build that trust and develop that trust, there's some things I think that we need to understand. And this week uh, in our graduate class, our group project is looking at a hypothetical, which I don't think is too hypothetical from the way that uh, one of our professors talked about the scenario, is a gymnast athlete. And as you guys know, in the world of gymnastics, there is a lot of stuff going on in terms of safety of young people, relationships being destroyed, confidence being undercut, and even more horrible, terrible levels of sexual abuse and that be decertified by the Olympic U.S. Committee and all this kind of stuff. So I find it interesting that this is the first case study that we're working on, which is an athlete less than those extreme levels, but more in just the terms of doing a routine, um, managing that routine, being able to handle that routine in respects to what they need to do for their team and their teammates. So five things we're going to talk about today. Number one, more in practice, less in competition. We'll talk about that more in detail, what that looks like. Number two, coaches should not be a distraction which has taken me a long time to learn, and we'll talk about that in detail. Number three, as we already kind of previewed, relationships matter the most, more than anything else, more than a lot of the stuff, and I'll kind of break that down. Number four, perception is reality. What you may perceive is your reality, but what the athletes perceive that are working through your program or their parents or the administrators or coaches of other programs within your university, your school, your club, that really matters a lot, and you may think that this is how the world is, and it may be very different for those that are working alongside you, with you, or even against you. And then number five is parents are probably the most crucial relationship that you can have outside of the athlete's relationships that you have. So number one, more in practice, less in competition. So I feel like, and what more means is doesn't mean these long, loquacious, win one for the Gipper speeches, but you should be communicating and talking and doing those things in practice. From our previous readings that we looked at, in practice, the athletes are more receptive and understanding of constructive criticism and coaching, and that's really important to get. It's not a time to slow practice down and talk in long, lengthy uh, conversations. So one of the things that John Wooden did is he did the plus one, minus one, or plus, minus, plus. 
And so what he would do is if he witnessed something wrong in practice, he'd show you the right way to do it. He showed you what you did wrong, and then he would show you the right way to do it again. And that's a real quick way of doing it. And then as practice is going along, instead of stopping practice for every little indiscretion that that happens, what they do is they had a little note card and they would write down things about that particular athlete, the drill or the exercise that they wanted to come to, or they would give that card to the kids at the end of practice to say, okay, these are things that I observed in practice that kind of kept showing up over and over and over again. And instead of disrupting the entire practice, you can give the athlete that maybe there's some drills or exercises that you can direct them to that they can do on their own after in the gym, or they can watch some video or film or something like that. But it's not something where you're constantly breaking down the practice, constantly slowing down the practice, constantly undercutting the confidence of the athlete in front of the entire team. It's something that they can go back and look at and do. So even though you're communicating, you're not communicating in these long, lengthy things like I tend to do, especially on these YouTube videos and things like that, but in short bursts that are constructive. Now, what happens, though, in competition is that coaches then try to talk their athlete into a good performance, and they talk too much. One of the things that it took me a really long time to understand as a coach is I felt like I needed to hype everybody up, explain to everybody what needed to be done at all times, long, lengthy speeches, and it just it took the air out of practice. Athletes come to practice. They come to training. They want to get after it. They want to go. Athletes are already typically, most of the athletes you work with that are high achievers are already wound pretty tight. They're already probably tuned up pretty good. Their arousal is pretty high. So one of the things that they talked about in the reading is that, you know, what coaches oftentimes do is they become distraction in practice. They become a distraction in the training. They make the athlete focus on things they shouldn't focus on. They build that concern. They build that worry and competition. So as much as you want to lean in and give the big speech and the big rah-rah and hype them up, most of the time, less is more. Saying a couple key things is really good, and then just leave it alone. You know, And those key things that you communicate about should be about the things that are pertinent to that particular competition. So if you coach cross-country, it's like, hey, remember that this hill, you know, it's a lot of hills in this course. Remember to take advantage of the downhills. Don't be afraid to attack the downhills. Hey, it's a large field. Remember, we got to get out aggressively. So for like 20 seconds in your head, I want you to get out aggressively, and then I want you to settle in and run your race. And it's really important when you cue them and you talk about them that the information makes sense. You know, the things say, ah, you got to give me more effort or give me more heart. Well, that they're probably already thinking, I'm giving you a lot of effort. I'm giving you a lot of heart. So instead say, hey, remember to use your arms up the up the hill. Use your arms like you're climbing a rope. You know, don't forget off your heels. Run tall. All things like that, that maybe they understand what that cue means. And again, if you're going to use the cue, you've got to train the cue and practice through those bursts of communication and in cards and explain what you mean. Because if you tell them something and they have no idea, (laughs) it's probably not going to be all that useful. Uh, A little different situation, but I was yelling at an athlete at the state championship a couple couple years ago, and her name was Lizzie, and Lizzie was one of the – well, she was the fastest girl in the state of Missouri in the 800. She proved that at the Festival of Miles. They ran an 800 championship race there, and she beat all comers, which is really cool. But in the week before in the state championship, we were in 13th place out of 16 athletes, and I yelled to her. I said, you got to get 10, and she looks at me crazy like, what does that even mean? And I yelled, you got to get 10. 
And thankfully, she was smart enough to realize that she was running. She's like, well, who's number 10? <laughs> and what I meant was, you got to get 10 people. And you could see that it clicked and that she was able to go run 10 people down and took us from 13th to third place, which is one of the most incredible things I've ever witnessed in my entire life. And ran like a 12 split, which for all of you out there and uh, that aren't in the track and field world for a female athlete in the 800 meters, that's really good, especially when you're weaving through traffic. So more in practice, less in competition. So what have I done to do that? Competition and cross country meets. I don't talk a lot to the athletes on race day at all. Most of the things, like I said, I try to talk about that are particular to that particular race. And I try to loosen them up, tell them a funny joke, tell them an embarrassing story, tell them if they do this in a race, I'll do something goofy, like jump in a lake which I did when we had four girls make it to the state semifinals individually uh, and they weren't seeded to qualify to the state championship. And we're at this beautiful course. And I said, Hey, you know, guys, if uh, you guys all four qualify today, I'll go, I'll go jump in the lake to celebrate. And they were like, half of them thought it was funny. And then the other two were like, Oh my God, I want coach to jump in the lake. But, but even though two of the girls were ranked not to qualify, they had their best race of the season and made it into the state championship, and I got a little bit wet that day, which is really cool. Okay, number two, talking someone out of a good performance. So it kind of builds off of what we were already talking about, okay? We, we oftentimes have all these things we want to do, and by talking and communicating, we get paralysis by analysis. One of the things that used to frustrate me when it came to uh, coaching and when I was coached was having so much being told to me that I was thinking more than I was flowing or being on a basketball court where everybody's standing around waiting for the play to materialize. And there was no flow. It seemed very unnatural. It seemed very restricted. And for somebody like me, who's, you know, I'm not superstar basketball player, five foot eight, you know, I went from center on my basketball team in sixth grade because I was a scythe in sixth grade to power forward, to short forward, to shooting guard, to point guards on the bench, to off the team. <laughs> But when I when the teams that I used to enjoy playing with the most, even in intramurals in college or early in high school or club basketball when I was in middle school, were teams that had a good flow, they had good movement, and there was little instruction in the actual competition. Timeouts were meant for reframing our mindset, not so much chewing out and yelling at an athlete. And one of the things I really liked about my coach, Randy Reed, who I'm going to put in here right now so he knows I'm talking about him, was the fact that Randy Reed always had constructive criticism for me in a meet. He never, or in a basketball game, he never, ever, you know, would just give us criticism that was rude or mean or uncalled for. It was always something constructive, always something where he's like, hey, you did this really well. This is an issue. You do this really well, so let's do this. So it was always sandwiched. The negative was always sandwiched with the positive which I really, really respected him for that. And it's something that I've had to work on as a coach as I've moved forward. Because sometimes when you're giving somebody constructive criticism, it only sounds like criticism. So you have to know who you're talking to and, and what you're having a conversation about. So when you're talking to them in the competition, it should be all encouragement. It should be the things that you know can be done, things that you can talk to your athletes about that restrict, that, that don't restrict flow, that increase flow, that increase confidence. And those things are really important because the truth be told, 
in the heat of the battle when you're jumping up and down on the sideline of a basketball game or screaming and yelling and, cu- and cussing a kid out uh, in a football game as they come off the field. That does nothing to build a relationship with that athlete. All that does is produce fear, and fear makes you go like this because now you're trying to protect something. You're competing not to make a mistake. And one of the things I found really valuable from our readings this week is the idea of how you want to fail forward. So when you're failing forward, what we're trying to do is we understand that by failing aggressively, by making a huge aggressive mistake, that's okay because we're failing forward. I want you to take risks. I want you to try. I want you to play to win, not to lose. And so sometimes that's lip service, but you've got to constantly communicate in a way to reinforce that for your athletes. That you, In that way, they understand some of the things we're going to talk about later throughout this uh semester and as we move forward is this idea of being a process-oriented athlete. Every failure, every competition as you move forward should be a beta test. Now that's not easy for some coaches because some coaches play sports that are all win-loss, you know, and you could have the really just an awful game and still win. Can't have an awful performance in track and field and win. Not typically, unless you're overwhelmingly better than your competition. Same thing with swimming, same thing with wrestling, diving, gymnastics, any of those individual sports. And so we have to handle those sports differently. All right, so number three, relationships are the most important thing. Athletes from our readings and from the conversations that we've had when we've interviewed athletes, when they talk about what makes a good coach, they never talk about, hey, man, that coach really understood the triangle offense. Or, man, he really taught me how to press break. Or, you know, God, he really understood how to teach acceleration out of the blocks or steering down the track to a long jump or triple jump performance. They don't talk about that. The best coaches, when we say, when we talk about people like my boy Gino Ball, okay, Coach Ball, when we talk about him, You know, what I remember most about him and I'll always remember about him as a coach is the fact that he was a great man who was constantly loving, constantly caring, and such an awesome human being. And so, like, when I see him out someplace, I'm excited to see him. I give him a big hug. And I don't remember what he taught me about a quick pitch when I was on freshman football, but I just remembered how he was always positive, always smiling. It seemed like he loved to be there. He was happy with the challenges. And that's not always easy to do because kids provide a lot of opportunities to get upset and get mad. And I'm sure there were days that he was. I mean, I know that I, I know that he yelled at me because it was so odd. The one time he yelled at me, it stuck out like a sore thumb in practice. But I, at that point, I had deserved it because the mistake I was making was because I wasn't paying attention. It wasn't because I'm a bad person or I wasn't a good person or I wasn't you know, a good human being on the football team. It's because literally I wasn't doing the basic things that I needed to do. And it was one time. But because that happened so sparingly, but he communicated in such a way and such a positive energy and a positive vibe that when he had to do that, it made a lot of sense and I didn't fault him for it. He was right. And I knew instantly that he was right. And so I tried to change my behaviors because I respected him versus other coaches that I've had in the past or I've had as teachers where they were just tyrants and they would just yell and scream and make fun of. I remember we had uh, one of my coaches who currently still coaches with me right now. He's a good guy. Okay. We were talking about how we had won, and this is when I was in high school, we had won a district championship for him. And it was the first district championship that our school had ever won in track and field. And I remember this particular coach and teacher going, well, I don't understand what the big deal is. Banta starts swearing and cussing in class, saying, I win MFing district titles all the GD time. And I'm like, are you serious? 
Is that the first thing you're going to say? Now, meanwhile, what you don't know about this story is that my coach, he was really sick and he was in the hospital. And this guy was so messed up in his perception about what is needed as a coach that he he felt like he needed to say that to us. Even if our excitement was over the top about a thing that probably happens for a lot of people all the time, it was the first time we had ever done it. For us, it was history. For other people, it might be a Tuesday. But perception matters, right? Perception matters. Your relationships matter. I remember having conversations with kids and talking about things. And by the way, we're on to number four here. And I thought the conversation went really, really well. And now that I've done these videos and I've had these conversations with you guys on a regular basis, I realize that what I'm presenting here is very different than a lot of times what my kids see or what I say. I also know that like when I'm in thought, I look like I'm mad and people are like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm just thinking I'm not mad. And that, that situation has been since I was a little kid growing up, that teachers thought that same thing about me. And it was just like, literally, I wasn't manically happy at that point. I was in the process of thinking or even daydreaming. And so perception really matters. What you say to a kid, you may perceive as very constructive. You may perceive as really important for them to be a better athlete. But if they don't perceive it that way, if they don't think about it that way, and you need to see the nonverbal cues, it may be important to come back to them and ask them, hey, what do you think or what's going on? And you never know. I had a conversation with an athlete. We were riding back from a long trip from a, tr a cross-country meet, and I was having a conversation with another coach about his team and that he was struggling with a lot of athletes who really didn't get it and were just there to be a part of a fitness club as opposed to being competitive. And I kind of made some suggestions about how he should cut at certain points in the year or tell those kids that their season is done or over because, you know, but the athlete is only hearing my side of the conversation, not understanding at all what the other coach is saying. You know, so the perception is, is that I'm devaluating all these athletes who aren't very good, who are still working really hard, but just aren't good enough to be on the team. And that was not the conversation at all. Number two, the, the lesson learned there was don't have those conversations around your athletes ever when you're traveling or doing anything like that where the athletes can't understand what's going on. And it wasn't a really bad conversation, but it, you know, I had an opportunity to talk to that athlete later and she expressed that that really frustrated her. It made me kind of mad when I heard that at first, but then I understood she's got a good point. I probably shouldn't do that. I can handle that in a better way. I can have that conversation later. I can even tell the coach, Hey, I have a lot of opinions about this, but I'm driving right now with kids in the car. Can't really talk to you about it now. Let's talk about it later. You know, another thing is, it's really funny is that, how athletes perceive your relationships with other athletes on the team, where they feel like one of the most destructive things that, that athletes report that bad coaches do is play favorites. And it's really hard for us to not do that, especially if the kid is talented, is a good kid, does work hard, and is one of your best kids on the team and is a leader. That's hard, right? It's hard to not value them above others. And the reality is, is that you probably do value them over some of the other people on your team. But you need to let the kids know in your program that aren't that person that they can work to become that. They are that person now that maybe the, the people that they're seeing as seniors who look at these like godlike figures were once in the same spot or position as they were. You need to do things every day where you try to communicate with all of your athletes that are in your program to make them feel valued, to make them feel important. You need to figure out a way to create reward systems for everybody if they're process orientated and we're trying to move them forward. Um, I talked a lot about that in my conversations about making interval cards, PR bars, 
you know, ring a bell for a personal record. You know, there's all sorts of things that you can do to constantly show that you respect effort and work and improvement in your program from your best kid to your least talented kid at this point. And what we like to do is we like to talk about the narrative of kids who improve a bunch. Now, sometimes your best athlete and the kid who improves a bunch is neurotic or maybe a kid that people don't necessarily gravitate to. And it's important to make sure that kids understand the good things about what everybody can provide to the team, even if they're not necessarily the best communicator or even if they're not the best, they don't have the best filter in a program. You know, like they might say things to kids and kids go, whoa, what's that about? You as a coach are constantly doing mental jujitsu with your athletes and not fake, but to put them in the right mindset about what they need, what their position is, what their process is, what they need to think about for them to be the best in your program. Because here I've got an athlete who's like the best athlete on my team who's improved a ton. And this athlete might be concerned about another really good athlete who happens to be really popular in the school and good kid. And, and so this athlete thinks I don't like them at all, that I like this athlete better when the opposite athlete thinks the same thing but for different reasons. And so you have to be aware of that because perception is reality. And so you constantly have to be talking to your kids and they may not be open to talking to you right away. You may not be able to communicate that right away. So if you need a little bit of time, that's good, but you should always follow up. You should always have those conversations when you can with your athletes because they really will find that valuable. And even if they don't at the point at this time, I think they'll be able to look back and know that you cared and that you understood and that you were concerned and that's all that matters that's what makes coaches look good in the eyes of an athlete is the relationships they build now, that doesn't mean you need to be friendly all the time it doesn't mean you don't have standards absolutely you have standards sometimes you're not going to be nice but the idea is that they need to know you do it from a from a position of love and that you want the best for them and you need to constantly talk to them about how they understand what you're saying and they get what you're saying and if not Ask a lot of questions, you know, and let them talk. All right. Number five, parents. So one of the things that's been hard for me to learn is that parents, their kid is number one. Their kid is number one, which means that no matter how great of a coach you are, no matter how wonderful of a teacher you are, no matter what, they're initially going to side with their child. We are past the time where parents go, take my kid and kick him in the dirt and make him tough. And to be truthful, that's probably not the best way to go about it. You can get respect and hard work and effort without intimidation. But parents are always going to side with their child. So you need to understand that. And you need to understand when a parent comes and confesses something to you or questions something that's going on, understand they're doing that because they love their child more than they really want to attack you or they're frustrated with you. It's more about their love of the child. And so there are times and things where situations happen where maybe not you're not even wrong, but it's better for you to apologize. It's better for you to say, we can do better. We can be better in coaching your son or daughter in this sport. Understand that they may not get all the information, that the kid may tell them something completely different than what really happened. And then after having that conversation with you, it colors that picture much more fully and so that the parent and maybe even the son or daughter can understand why something went down or how things played out the way that they played out. And in the long run, even the most obnoxious, angry parent 
you can win them over through your actions of being very consistent and willing to say, we can do better. This has enlightened us. We're going to be a better program because of these conversations and we will do better for your daughter. I remember on a trip, we were traveling out of town to a big invitational meet. And the coach who was in my program, who's much more, many years my elder, you know, he was speeding. And I was doing my best to try to keep up with him in our van. Me and met that at times I was going faster than the speed limit. And a parent called me and said, hey, this parent was tracking our travel and wondering why we got there as quickly as we did. And it seemed impossible that we could get there. And even, you know, if we didn't stop and go to the bathroom and do all these kind of things, we could have gotten there in that time. But that coach was having us drive way too fast. So instead of arguing with the parent and making a big deal out of it, instantly I said, we can do better. Even if it's five miles per hour of the speed limit, that's unacceptable. We should drive the speed limit. We've got precious cargo. We need to be as safe as possible. We respect the fact that you're trusting us to take your kids hundreds of miles away from your house. And we got to be better than that, which may mean, hey, you got cruise control on the speed and that's it. Hey, you know, you take your time. If that means you get there past dark and you can't preview a course or you can't go show up on the track and do that, oh, well, you got to be safe and you got to be smart, you know, and you, and you got to be able to do those things and own up when things aren't right. But at the same time, you know, it's also important not to be a pushover and to tell the, co- the parents and the athletes when something's going on, hey, I know your daughter or son said this, but this is what we meant by this and this is how I explained it. Because sometimes in the heat of the passion or whatever, and the, the parents play a really important role to help interpret those things for your kids. They can be your best asset at home. They can defend you at home. If you have a really good relationship with them, that happens at time to time. But the other thing you need to realize is that no matter how close you are, even if those people were your friends when you were in high school and now you're coaching their kids, their kid's still going to be number one. They're going to trust their kid and they're going to have their kids concerned over everything else. And so for that period of time, when you're working with their son or daughter, you need to understand that and appreciate that relationship and where it's coming from. And having my own children, it's really clarified a lot of things to me about why parents act the way that they do, where we as teachers and coaches on the outside might think that's a little bit crazy. It makes a lot more sense once you have your own children. You don't want your your parents uh, of your athletes to say, man, that guy was a real big jerk. You know, when you're done with your career and they have to put you six feet in the dirt, The only moisture you want on top of your grave is teardrops and rain, not spit. And so we have to be able to make sure that over a lifetime of dealing with athletes that we constantly get better and improve building relationships. Because when you start out, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And instead of trying to protect the mistakes and making excuses for them, we need to be better at not having those things happen again and having a realization and awareness and a perception a multitude perception about what's going on in the world and on your track team or your your football team, your hockey team, your gymnastics club, whatever it may be. And we always need to come at this with an understanding of respect, most importantly. And if you respect your athletes, they will respect you. They will trust you. And if they trust you, they will be loyal. And that's what we want as coaches. All right, guys, thanks a lot. Leave your comments below. Let me know what you think. Uh, If there's anything you guys want me to talk about further as we move forward, please let me know. Remember, I've got the Sprinter's Compendium for sale. It covers a lot of these topics and subjects. Done with my book tour, so I'm not traveling anymore. I'm really excited to get into the latter parts of the spring with my classroom and my kids and all that kind of stuff. All those relationships are fun, and they should be fun for you too. 
even when they're tough. The challenge makes it interesting, and the challenge makes it fun. Okay? All right, guys. Love you. See you later. Peace out.